thought leaders, storytellers and griots sharing personal highlights on Stories of the Week. Plenty of stories that come out during the week and what we like to do is trawl through the various opinion pieces that people have written, go through the media, look at various different spaces and try to understand what people are thinking about the events that have taken place. Well, Riyad Ibrahim is the social investment specialist in Chikalulu's social investments and he wrote an article this year focusing on as we look at all the matriculant results that have come out and how we could look differently at the idea of metrics. So as the, in the past and always we look at measurement and metrics when it comes to the matriculants, how many matriculants passed, what did they get? Is there a different way of looking at it? Well, apparently there is. Riyadh is on the line. Riyadh, thank you so much for joining us. Thanks, Michelle, and good morning to you and your audience. Thank you. Riyadh, we are looking at uh, the article you wrote focusing on the fact that this year's results from the current cohort, of course, may be a little bit more promising, but it doesn't necessarily really answer what uh, we are trying to figure out when it comes to the end of the year. And you're coming up with some different ideas. Talk to us about that. Thanks, Michelle. So, you know, the, the one important thing that I do want to point out is that I'm not saying that, you know, we shouldn't uh, look at the metric results. Those results are extremely important. And we do have a system where we've got very few uh, kind of objective touch points between the education system um, and the broader public. And so we do have that fascination uh, as a broader public with the metric results. Um, but, you know, there's, there's a lot more that's coming out, uh, out of school, um, especially over the uh, past two years that are absolutely not, uh, not encompassed in the metric results. And it's largely around, this, uh, around the issue of COVID and learners having had to drastically adapt their, their way of being um, you know, in an instant. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the metric results just don't capture that. And, and it doesn't capture what it means potentially for the workforce of the future. Um, and the reason I'm saying we, we need to have a broader discussion around some of this um, is because, you know, every year the metric results come out and we've got these results being analyzed um, and that's important for some key stakeholders in the education sector. Um, and then we have other commentators tell us that, you know, the results are because of all our failing education system and the government is letting us down and the minister needs to resign and all of that. And then, you know, from that discussion, uh, kind of Uncle Joe from the family WhatsApp group tells us uh, how, you know, in his day things were much higher quality and his theory of how the youth are, uh, you know, failing because of X, Y, Z. And that whole circuit doesn't really produce anything of significant value. Um, and when we, when we look at it in terms of the other skills outside of the exact marks in that, um, we, we've potentially got something huge emerging. Um, and, you know, it's not good or bad. Uh, we all wish that COVID and all of that didn't happen. 
Um, but it is what it is. Uh, and so my take is, um, you know, let's include a different perspective. Let's look at what are the assets that this past year uh, has potentially created for us. So, so, I mean, essentially what you're doing is you're saying, okay, we understand that the metrics are important for certain stakeholders, but perhaps there's a way of expanding the measurement and looking at how we engage. So instead of simply saying, well, so, so-and-so so got eight uh, distinctions, someone else may have only got four, but they have other assets as well. And I suppose one could look at the concept of asset-based development in the thinking of that. Like, what are the assets in the young people that are not necessarily being measured in the old way of measurement when it comes to the cohort of school leavers. What are some of those assets that you think we could be looking at? So there's big, uh, there's big assets that's potentially coming out around uh, resilience and around agility. Um, so we've got a cohort uh, that, you know, the, the entire way of, of learning has, had switched over in an instant. Um, we had a family meeting and they, uh, you know, suddenly were not going to school for five Sorry, weeks what do you mean by fa- family going... meeting? Pardon? What do you say? I mean, I, I'm, I'm a, I know what you mean, but I think let's clarify actually what a family meeting is. Oh, because a family yes, meeting sorry, is not yes, a family the, meeting. I mean, I'm referring to the, you know, the announcement by Cyril Ramaphosa, the yes, first announcement yeah, sure. um, back in March of, uh, 2020. Yeah. Okay. So, you, no, you had that meeting and suddenly they switched over. Uh, you had that announcement and, and they switched over to a different way of learning. And subsequently, their the way of learning and also socializing and, and just moving about their everyday lives, that changed. And it changed, uh, you know, quite significantly uh, month to month, mm. and now we're reaching more of a kind of normal. Um, but for the first year, at least in 2020, there was extreme changes, and you know, for for youth, um, that's that's a big part of their life, right? So everyone who was at school uh, during 2020, especially you know the the younger years, and that. They saw major changes to the way they were learning. Um, and the result of that is that these learners are going to be used to uh, adapting very quickly, faster yes. than any generation before. That means that when they enter uh, higher education, they'll be a lot more adapt to hybrid learning systems without needing uh, a lot of encouragement. They'll see the logic in certain hybrid systems, and when this cohort of youth um, enter into the labor market, they also, they're going to change the job market. Um, they're going to, you know, critically be asking, why don't we have some systems hybrid? Why don't we have, uh, you know, more agile systems? And, I mean, companies, big and small right now, are still struggling with this hybrid system and who needs to come into office and, and all of these things. So, but this youth are going to be are potentially going to be a lot more kind of straightforward about their demands of, well, 
you know, in some cases we don't need to be in the office type of thing. I mean, that's just a small example, but they're going to be very adept. Um, and how that's going to change the job market, you know, I, I don't know, but... So, so Riyad, let's let's. Um, I'm, I'm interested in in what you you know have just said with regards to entering into the labour market. So obviously, one of the challenges, and we were talking about this earlier in an interview, is that entry into the labour market is an issue. So, in order for people to enter a into the labour market, and I would prefer to say not the job market, but rather the work market, because I think less and less and less it's about people just being able to get a job, and more and more and more it's about rethinking what we think work is. But let's look at it from the other side. What do you think um, those who are already in the labor market need to open up, shift, change in order to ensure that these young people who have come out of school are able to then go into that labor market? So there's two, there's two very important parts to that. And, um, the one is in terms of the... Uh, so in terms of what the job market looks like and, and how it's able to absorb um, more youth. And, and there's big systemic issues that South Africa's yeah, sure. got, and I'm not going to kind of go into that uh, right now. But from, you know, just from a what skills we have potentially, there's a lot of, there's a lot of youth that have been exposed now to different types of technology and are now able to kind of move between technologies much faster, um, there, there's a need, and, and the broader job market is becoming more and more open towards uh, the gig economy and gig economy workers. Um, and there's a lot more space for gigas uh, to come about, um, to emerge in the current job market. And so you've got this combination of, you know, there's the technologies available for more gig workers, and you've got youth that are more agile, more adapted technology, um, and have been forced to be. And so how, how does that get absorbed better into the job market? And that's important from a planning perspective, um, that companies potentially are going to be using a lot more gig workers uh, and to enter into the gig market as a whole, the gig economy is um, doesn't have as many barriers as as most traditional uh, stuff. So even a youth that what what we would ordinarily think of as being underqualified um, based on their metric results, and that they do have abilities to interact with technology, they do have abilities to kind of mm. develop their own uh, business, develop their own um, kind of service offering at some level, and find ways of entering into the gig economy, not only kind of as an Uber driver and that, but, you know, there, there are going to be new kind of business offerings uh, emerging. And so it's how do we, as a country, maximize uh, the impact of that? Riyad Ibrahim is the social investment specialist at Chikululu Social Investments, looking at uh, describing or demonstrating or rethinking what it means for matriculants as they move into the economy. Is it simply a job market? Could it be a work market? But it could also be gig economy as well. It's an interesting read. 748,